0: You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. Good evening. Um, if you have a Bible, could you please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and then also... Uh, if you have a physical Bible, extra credit for turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What I want to talk about tonight is our, um, our next sort of movement in uh, a little series that we started last week on who we are as a community, who we are as a Church. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to frame it a little bit. I think the most important thing is to frame it before I get started, because it might seem a little harsh or a little like I'm prodding and pushing the church forward uh, tonight. And I, I kind of am. I kind of really want to do that. But uh, I, I want to frame it to where you guys know where I'm coming from. If you're new tonight and you're like, wow, this church is kind of intense. Um, you, pastors like yelling at us and like, do, like I, I don't normally yell. Um, I might yell a little tonight, but, um, but I want to frame it why I, I'm so passionate about moving the church forward. I want, I want to frame it a little bit, and, and, I, and I'm going to, I want to come out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 to do that, something that's been on my mind uh, over, uh, studying over this whole sort of teaching on, on uh, our second part of This is Reality, and this is, the, this is the phrase that keeps coming over and over again. I kept praying this over the church this morning and during the morning services and tonight, uh, starting in verse 19, you are not your own. You are not your own. It'd be really great if you looked in the mirror in the morning like, you are not your own. I know that we normally said, you're smart enough, you're good enough, you're, you know, whatever we say to ourselves in the mirror in the morning, but if you just think about this, you are not your own, but you were bought with a price. You're not your own. Everything that I'm going to talk about tonight, I'm framing it around this idea of that yet you're not your own, that if you are a Christian, if, if you are a follower of Jesus, you've been bought by the precious blood of Christ and you're not your own anymore. You've surrendered your life, your entire life, not just your heart. You didn't ask Jesus into your heart or whatever. You've surrendered your life. The language that, that, that Jesus uses, take up your cross and follow me, drop your nets, deny yourself, like that sort of language. And if you're a Christian, you've done that. You know full well that you've done that. You're like, I can't, I can't, I can't do this life without Jesus. I need Jesus. I surrender my life to you. And what does that mean? What does that look like though? That's what I want to talk about tonight. This, this frames everything. You're not your own. So every time you might feel a little prod, I want you to just tell yourself, you're not your own. I'm not my own. I belong to Jesus. Can you guys do that? Some of you guys are not excited about doing that. you guys excited about doing that? You guys are kind of waiting for it, like, okay, good. Great. Way to be. All right. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, turn there, verse 17. Let me pray, and we'll get started. God, I thank you for this evening those that have gathered here tonight, I pray that what would um, what would roll over into our minds over and over again that you, Holy Spirit, would roll that into our minds? You are not your own, you are not your own. You would say that to us, God, we would remind ourselves of that that we 've been bought at a price if we 're Christian in here that we we now belong to jesus we 're not our own we don 't live for our own meaning anymore we don 't live for our own life anymore we don 't live for our own love anymore. we are not our own we 've been bought at a price. And the life that we now live, we live in Christ, in obedience to Jesus. And so, God, I pray that, God, if we don't have, if we just are not there, if we don't have the faith to get there tonight, that you would get us there, that you would, you would teach us. And I desperately pray, as I, as I prayed just throughout the day, that yeah, this wouldn't be the opinion of man. I pray that the opinion of man would fall away, that the Word of God would, um, would rise above all the, all the stuff that we would get your, your word tonight, God. You would teach us, instruct us in the way that we're to go for your glory. I need your help. Would you anoint me? God, I need your help to communicate these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So what I want to talk about tonight is what a Christian does after they've given their life to Jesus. Because it seems sort of strange if heaven is, like we sang, uh, if you didn't get the analogy as we were singing that last song, when I stand at eternity shore and death is just a memory and tears are no more, we're singing, like, yes, heaven. Like, if heaven is so great, and it is, I don't know, I've not been there, but I've read in the Bible that it is. If heaven's such a great place, why don't I just get get saved, and as soon as I'm saved, I'm done. I'm like, heaven, rapture, death, whatever, I'm just with Jesus. If that is so great, why aren't I just with Him right now? Why does the why does the Christian life keep going on? Why are we even here tonight? Why does the, what 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 do Christians do? Some people have these ideas that Christians are like this happy, clappy bunch of people that come into a room and they sing some songs. And they, I have a friend that, that doesn't go to church. He just been to church one time when he was a teenager. Um, in a Catholic church, and, the, and he said, the, the priest or the father, whatever you call it, that's what he said. Go, he's, I walked in, and he goes, his sermon was, Rap Music is the Devil, and he goes, I never went to church again after that, ever. He goes, I like rap music. I'm a DJ, so it's kind of hard, and so um, so him and I were talking. He's like, so what do you do at your church? You like to praise the Lord, like that sort of thing. I'm like, well, I'm kind of down here, but like some of our church is up here. Some of our churches is like, yes, let's do this. Praise the Lord, but like what do we do? Is the church just come into a building like this, just fill this building like, praise the Lord? Yes. And then and the pastor just gives us like this encouraging message, like, you know, Jesus loves you and you suck, but Jesus loves you like I do suck, do you love? And then you leave and you feel good about your life and you go to work. And is that what Christianity is all about? Now obviously it's not. It's not about that. It's There is a part when we are to gather, like we talked about last week, we are a community around Jesus. So we are to gather around Jesus. And that's why we've come here tonight to worship Christ, to sing and to pray and to pray for one another and to read scripture and to repent and do all these wonderful things. But this is not an end in of itself. If this was, if it was all about tonight, if it was all about, the Christian service, the Christian experience, about experiencing God and Jesus and, like, and all these wonderful things. Guys, this would be a lot more slick. We would, this would be all a lot more polished. And we would have probably air conditioning in here because I think the Holy Spirit moves a lot better with air conditioning. And we would, and it, 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 first service, or sec, I think it was second, the, we had to stop a song because it was just like not going well. Jason, he's so brave. Just, he'll stop. This is not going well. Can we restart the song? like you can restart the the church was like you can restart the song go ahead we'll give you time and he's like okay let's do it and then he did this it went awesome and everybody cheered and it was great if if this was all there was then this would be we would polish this a lot a lot more shiny it would be a lot more all and then what we want to do is just grow this thing as big as we could and get as many people in these doors as we could that's that's how we would live but if we did that let's say God did do that let's say God Did something where every time someone gathered, they just like fell on the floor as soon as they walked in the presence of God, overwhelmed them. And this, everything was just revival broke out. We're meeting Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. The reason why we gather is not because, like, we love the experience. If God is going to bring revival, it's not going to be so that we can just experience. If God's going to do something in this city, it's going to be because he's going to move us out in mission. Last week we talked about the church is to be a theological community centered around God. It cannot be, that cannot be an in and of itself. We're just here to experience God. If that was the case, and if we did that, you would probably not like this city very much after a couple of years living here, or a year living here. If this was all about just the Christian thing, and it's like you come in here and Jesus and this and that, you would, you would go, this place is so awesome. And you would walk down the Market Street and you're like, okay, wait, I can't, I can't deal with this city anymore. You'd go, this city has way too many festivals where people get drunk and naked. Or way too many weekends where people get drunk. Or all throughout the week, just too many naked drunk people in this city. <laughs> and and, and you, would, you would say, this is too hard of a place to raise a wholesome family. I have to move out of the city once I have a family. Or you'd go, the smells in the city, just like one corner smells like fresh baked bread, and then urine, and then pot, like all in the same block. Like I just can't deal with this anymore. This is, that's how you would think. Because you're like, but I just want, I want to move somewhere where the, it's like the whole town's Christian. Like, everywhere is like church. You wouldn't live here that long. But that is not what we're supposed to be. That is not who we're supposed to be, and that's not where Christians are supposed to live. Actually, Christians are to be living in wonderful places like San Francisco. Embodying, sharing, preaching, living out the gospel and the reconciliation of Jesus Christ. Because you know what everyone in this city needs? Everyone needs reconciliation with God. That's their deepest need. You need reconciliation with God. That's our deepest need. And so if God and who we are around God shapes everything we do. Last week we talked about we are a theological community. If we are a theological community, then we must be a community that is shaped by God. That means we get our identity from God. That means we get what we do and who we are from God. We take our cue from God. And because God's a missionary God, because God is missional, we, as a church, are missional. That's what we're saying tonight. Not only is reality a theological community, not only do we want to be a theological community in San Francisco, we want to be a missional community. Why? Because God is a missionary God. And I want to unpack that for you. And this is how I'm going to unpack it in two, and sort of under two headings. Number number one, the first one is, what does missional mean? That might be a new word for you. What does missional mean? So I'm going to define some terms, do some theological work, important stuff, but then I'm going to get real practical. What does it mean to be missional? What does missional mean? If, if we're a church that is a missional church, we're, we're, we're this church that's sent out on mission in this city, in this world, what does it mean? What does missional mean? And then, what does it mean to be missional? So let's do some, let's do some groundwork first. First, what does missional mean? For that, I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul, almost like a follow, a little bit of follow, but it has a lot of parallels to what we talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that you are not your own. And look at look at what, um, look what he writes in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, if anyone is in Christ, if you're in Christ, if you've committed your life to Jesus, surrendered your life to Christ, believed upon his name, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You are a new. Cre- you're new. You have this new identity. You have this new. You have a renewed and reoriented sense of being, sense of purpose. Everything, everything is new. Look what it says. You are a new creation. The old, old life, old sin, old passions, old stuff has passed away. Behold. My favorite translation of the word "Behold" is "Ta-da." That's that's kind of that's what it means. It's like the old has passed away. Ta-da! All has been made new. It's like this, bam! Behold. It's that sort of word behold, all things have become new. All all the new has come. And this, praise God, is from God. That all this is from God. All this newness of life, this reconciliation that we have with God, all of this, like the old is gone, the new has come. If you've ever sensed that moment when, you know, you've come up here for prayer, and you know that that, that sin, that That weight of sin, that filth of sin has been rolled over to Jesus. You're like, oh my gosh, I feel so free. That's from God. That's from Christ who's reconciled you. That's what Paul's saying. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Stop there. Through Christ and Christ's work on the cross, you and I have been reconciled. That's our greatest need. That's everyone's greatest need. You guys remember when we went through the book of Mark, and there was that story where Jesus is preaching in a, in a small little um, house, and everyone's packed in there, and these friends have a para, paralytic friend of theirs, and they need to see Jesus. He's paralyzed. He can't get there, so we've got to take him, but it's too packed. We can't get in. Let's go to the roof. So they go to the roof. They, oh, they tear open the roof, and they drop their friend in right in the middle of Jesus, just preaching away, and all of a sudden, this paralytic just gets lowered, like pyrotechnic and fireworks shoot up no that's not what happened but they they low, he lowered him there and he looked, Jesus looks at this this paralytic man and says son your sins are forgiven they're like how how rude of Jesus like he's paralyzed why don't you deal with that like son like let's fix you first he deals with his the his greatest need first his greatest need was not to walk his greatest need wasn't physical his greatest need was reconciliation with god son your sins are forgiven that's our greatest that's everyone's greatest need it's that guilt, that, that that whatever you call it, whatever you want to call it, that reconciliation with God, peace with the God who made you and who loves you. That was God's purpose in sending Christ: to reconcile us to Himself. But then here's where Paul just drops theological heaviness on us. He says, we have been reconciled to God, and everyone says, amen, yes, thank you, God, and then the next, very next phrase, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Feel that for a second. Just feel Try that on. You were, you, you were reconciled to God, and we're like, yeah, I've been reconciled to God. God saved me, and then God said, I saved you. I've reoriented. I've given you a new life. Yes, thank you. You give me a new life so I can pursue. Oh, yeah, I've also, with that new life comes this new sort of Reorientation of the way you live. You actually have a new you have new meaning now. You have a new new pursuit. Here it is. Here, here's your new life. It's no longer a kingdom of self. You live for yourself, no longer a kingdom of self. Now I've given you this new ministry of reconciliation. You and I have the ministry of reconciliation. And don't I'm not gonna let you guys get away with saying, Oh, that's the church's job. It's your job. Your job. I want I wish I could bring everyone up here. Individually, and grab you by the cheeks and go, you. And they're like, next, you. <laughs> like, I want to grab you by the cheeks and just like hold you. I'm like, you have the ministry of reconciliation. You do. They're like, not not me. I'm like, that's your job because you're the pastor. And you get like, this is what you do. No, you. I almost have a loophole. Like, there's even a loophole where Paul says, you know, I, I'm supposed to equip the body for the work of ministry. That's, you do the ministry. I equip you. You go do. Almost a loophole there. I don't know. Maybe. I'll pray about it. But I don't know. So, but I... That's, that's still our job. Your job is to do that. You are to do ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. That's your job. That's the church's job. And guess what? You're the church. You are the church. And if you try to squirm out of it, like, but I'm not, I'm not smart. Dude, get in line. I am not smart. <laughs> no, but I don't know enough. You have the same Bible I have. Well, mine's on my phone. Well, it's still legible. You can still read it. You have all that. You have You have everything you need to be a minister of reconciliation. Actually, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, "He made us able ministers. God has made us able ministers. You don't need to go to seminary. You don't need to go to school. It'd be awesome if you did, but you don't have to. God has given to you the ministry of reconciliation. And then Paul goes on. He says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, entrusting. If you had the most important message in the world, who would you give that one to? I could think of three people, four people maybe in my life that I would entrust a very, very important message. I don't know if I would randomly grab one of you and say, hey, I'm going to give you the most important thing. But Jesus, he, like the, and, and in some way, I know this might sound a little like Whatever, like he tr- God trusts us. I know I, that sounds weird, but He's entrusted. He's like you, but me, I'm like not. I'm not what you think I am. God's like, I think I know who you are. I'm like, I made you, and I know you, and like Moses, like God, I, I can't talk. He's like, I made your tongue. I know, I know you made my tongue, but God's like, I've entrusted to you the ministry of reconciliation, and I've entrusted it to you. I trust you with it, and we're made. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. It goes on to say. Now. Let me drive this a little deeper. John chapter 20. After the resurrection, after the resurrection, Jesus, the, the, the disciples are, hid, are, are, are hidden because they're just afraid for their lives. Like, okay, they killed Jesus. What are they going to do the, to the followers of Jesus? So they're hiding. Jesus shows up, resurrected from the dead. It's like, shalom! And he shows up in a house, and like, they start freaking out. But this is one of the times that he visits them. He says, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, shalom. And then he says, As the Father has sent me, even so... I am sending you. These are, all of these are very heavy verses. As the Father sent me, Jesus saying this, the Father sent me for uh, an incarnation to take on flesh and blood, to become a male, a Jewish male, to live in this time, to minister, to love, to forgive, and to die a substitutionary death. We don't do that part. A substitutionary death on the cross for your sins. Now, the same way that I was sent into the world on this mission. Now, what I'm going to do, I want to give you guys this same mission. As the Father sent me, I send you. Now, go in my name with my ministry and do likewise. Do you see what happened there? Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. Now, you can't screw around with this. You. You. You're like, but I, I, how do I do that? I, like, work a full-time job, like... And we, we kind of tend to, to go extreme like okay, you 're either going to tell me to quit my job and come on staff with the church or missionary, or I keep my job and i can 't do what you 're talking about." Actually, most of a fruitful ministry lies somewhere in the middle there. It lies that I have a job, and I see myself called into ministry where i 'm at. I think Oz Guinness had this wonderful quote when he goes christian it 's not christian's their problem with influence isn't they're not where they're at but they're not who they are where they they're not who they're supposed to be where they're at like you're supposed to be on mission where you're at this is what this is how god's empowered us christ jesus says, as i was sent now you go the sentness of jesus is now entrusted to us because we're identified with christ this is why the church is called the body of christ you ever heard that the church is the body why is the church the body of christ because we embody the life of God. We are an expression of the life of God in, in this city. See, the church, especially the Western church, has this historical proclivity to relegate missions or being missional to events in the church. So we have missions events. We have missions trips. We do mission things. We send people to destinations, especially the most pagan reaches of the world. And that's fine. That's okay. We did one a couple weeks ago. But what needs to happen in our church, in in this church, is that in our hearts and our minds, we have to reclaim our identity as a sent community. It's who we are. Mission is our identity. It's who we are, not simply what we do. So, mission, being sent out into the world with the ministry of Jesus, is not a program of the church. Mission is... Not a program of the church. Mission should define the church as God sent people. Mission should define us. Who are you? We're Christians. We follow Jesus. What does that mean? We are, we embody, we are on God's mission. We are missional. What? As the Father sent Jesus into the world, God has sent us into the world to embody reconciliation and love and hope and peace and joy and all these things where we're at. Mission is not merely an activity of the church. Rather, mission is the result of God's initiative. Rooted in God's purposes to restore and heal creation. Mission is our identity. It's who we are because it's who God is. Let me frame this a little bit bigger for you. God has been a missionary God since we know in Genesis chapter 1. Since from from the dawn of human, human history as we know it, God has been a missionary God. God sent the word, his word, to frame the world But then, specifically, God's mission began with the call of Israel to receive God's blessing in order to be a blessing in the world. Let me rewind about four months when we went through this in Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abram. His name was uh, changed to Abraham, by the way. But it's Abram here, so don't trip out about that. Okay, so now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I, I will show you and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you can be comfortable and live a good, long life in warmth and comfort so you can have all the money you need and buy anything you want. Whenever you want it, you can have it. Whenever you want to eat, you can have it. Anything you want, I'm going to bless you so you can have everything you want. That's That's not what it says, by the way. If you're looking up there, you're like, wait, well, what's that Bible? I want that Bible. Where's that Bible at? That's not... What God says to Abraham, he says this, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a great nation. Why? So that you will be a blessing. Go to where I tell you, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. Do you know why you have a good job? Because I spent $700,000 on education? No, 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 that's not why. You are blessed so you can be a blessing. It's not that you can buy what you want and live where you want and do what you want and have all the comforts. Why do you live in San Francisco? Do you have friends that visit you? You're like, oh, I wish I lived in San Francisco. You're like, it wears off in two weeks, but it's still a great place to live. They <laughs> get friends that are like, oh, you get the, all the, the culture and this food. And it's, so, it's such a cool city. Like, you know why you live here? So that you can be a blessing. Do you know why God's blessed you with the family? Not everyone's blessed with the family. If you're married with kids, not everyone is blessed like that. So that you can be a blessing. You know why you have what you have? So that you can be a blessing. It's not for you. You are not your own. Your time, guys, I need to hear this more than anyone in this room. Your time is not yours. Your money, your life is not yours. It belongs to God. And it was given so that you can be a blessing. What if the the church in the city was like, we are here to be a blessing? God's given us things that we can be a blessing. It's normally, God has given us things so we can have power in this city, and we can make policy, and we can do this. What if it was just, we are blessed so we can be a blessing, so we can love people? But look at that last little phrase there that Jesus, that God had promised Abraham. So that in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I'm going to bless you, so you bless others, and then guess what? In you, in your, he was saying, in your seed, everyone in the world is going to be blessed. So this reached its revelatory climax in the salvation of Jesus and his ministry, crucifixion and resurrection. In Jesus, the the seed of Abraham, in Jesus, all the nations of the, every tongue, tribe, nation, language is blessed in Christ. God's mission continued then after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection in the sending of the church by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God called forth and empowered the church as a witness to God's good news in Jesus. And it continues today in the worldwide witness of churches in every culture to the gospel of Jesus. Let me summarize what I just said, because I just went through a, a lot of years and a lot of pages of biblical theology. Let me summarize the Bible for you. Let me summarize Genesis to Acts. Ready? Mission is... Un- oh, it's, it's best summarized by this, this quote by this writer. Um, mission is understood... ...as being derived from the very nature of God. Mission, going out into the world, is not an event. It's not a program. It's not like, how the church does missions. No, it's from the very nature of God. It is thus put in the context of the doctrine of the Trinity. Mission comes from the doctrine of the Trinity. It does not come from ecclesiology, the study of the church, doctrine of the church... ...or soteriology, the, the doctrine of salvation. It's not a salvific issue, and it's not a church issue... It's a Trinitarian issue. It comes to the heart of who God is. Then he says this. The classical doctrine of Missio Dei, which is Latin for the mission of God. The classical doctrine of the mission of God is God the Father sending the Son. And God the Father and the Son sending the Spirit is expanded to include yet another movement. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit sending the church into the world. Insert the word boom right there. And you have a perfect quote. <laughs> the Father sends the Son to bring salvation to the world. The Father and the Son send the Spirit into the, into the church. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit send the church. Guess who's the church? You. Just feel that for a second. You are sent by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit It's a Trinitarian issue. You and I are sent into San Francisco to the glory of God. I want you to reclaim your sentness. I want you to understand that God has empowered you and sent you into this city, into this world. Your life is not your own. You've been sent as Jesus has been sent. We now carry the ministry, continue the ministry of Jesus, the ministry of reconciliation. This is what we're called to do. We are missional because God is missional. Therefore, mission isn't something we do. It's something we are. Mission isn't something we do. It's our identity. It's who we are. So, that's the theological underpinnings of it. Let's get to the practical. So what does this mean? Like I said earlier, a lot of times it either means, a, I quit my job and get in the, go on the mission field. Some of you guys are going, okay, so i got to quit then. i got to be a missionary. Maybe. Maybe God's calling some missionaries out of here. Praise God, I hope He does. But you and I are at least called to be missional. I think the, the, some of the most effective ministry happens between this, this continuum between on-staff, paid missionary, and doing nothing. There's a continuum right in the middle of, I work a job, and I'm a CEO, I'm a stay-at-home mom, I'm somewhere in the middle here. And I work in tech, I work in finance, whatever, and I'm called where I'm at with the gospel of Jesus. That's where effective ministry happens. Amazing ministry happens. So let me break it down practically for you. What does it mean to be missional? First, ask yourself this question. What is God doing? What is God doing? Isn't that a simple question? What What is God up to? Check this out. To be, one, aware of... And concerned about what God is doing in the world. This is what it means to be missional. To be aware of and concerned about what God is doing in the world around us. And two, to endeavor to be directly and daily involved in that. So what if I just asked you this question? What If I stopped everyone at the door and I was like, hey, what is God doing in, in San Francisco? Everybody knew like, well, this is what God's doing. Isn't it amazing right now what God's doing in the Tenderloin? We never we, God's been doing that for a very long time. We just kind of joining in what God's doing. And not just City Impact, BJM, as Ruthie was announcing before uh, um, during the announcements, like, God's just doing something there. And what we've got to do is we've got to figure out, God, what are you doing in the city? And God's doing a lot of things. God, what are do you doing in the city? And then all we do is just reorient our lives, posture our lives, going, I want to be about what God's doing in the city. This is what we're called to do. It's actually really simple. People ask me all the time, what is God doing in San Francisco? I'm like, how much time do you have? Like, I'll tell you so many things that God is doing. What we are to do, what you are to do is this. Ask the question, what are, you, what are you doing, God, in my apartment? What are you doing in my family? What are you doing at my work? What are you doing at my school? God, what are you doing? What if we just asked that? What if we got on Muni and we're like, God, what are you doing on Muni? Seems like a lot of stuff's happening. <laughs> Too many things. But what are you doing? What if you walk with that awareness? You're walking to work. Instead of headphones in, head down, just like, be, like walking around with this awareness. God, what are you doing? How can I be just, how can I just line up with what you're doing? How can I just get right in step with what you're doing at my work today? Just right in step. What are you doing, God? Jonathan Edwards, 18th century American theologian and amazing preacher, said The task of every generation, this generation, of every generation, is to discover the direction in which the sovereign Redeemer is moving and then move in that direction. That's so easy. Guys, just let's just do this. This is why we call prayer meetings. God, sovereign redeemer, what are you doing in San Francisco? Oh, you're doing that? Let's go. Like, look, can we just find, and it seems like right now, God is doing a really amazing thing in this city. An amazing work. We didn't start it, we won't finish it. We just kind of like we just like caught a wave. That's it. We paddled out and caught a wave. Like, God's doing, and, then, and we're going now. We're like, this is where God is, this is what God's doing, and this is where we're going. This is where we're moving. Because God is, this is our task, church, to pray and go, God, where are you doing? This is what it means to be missional. How do we be missional in this city? Oh, my gosh. Like, find out what God's doing and be a part of that. This is our job. It's our task as the church. Second thing is make disciples. See, in churches today, everything gets done by the few. This is—they're actually very, very sad statistics. Here's one that has haunted me ever since Tark told me this a couple weeks ago. He said, "True story, true statistic. Tark doesn't lie." He said, "16 percent of our church gives 75 percent of the makes up 75 percent of the giving." He said, "The base is 25, 25 givers make up 75 percent of the giving at at this church." Like, oh wow, that's not. why'd you tell me that you just wanted to make me depressed like what were you and if we went to serving it it raises a little bit but not much most of the work gets done by a very few amount of people in this church and then witnessing the number drops way low but we're like hey dude i just go to this church man i just go here i get my spiritual stuff i'm like an american don't blame me i'm an american consumer that's what i do I consume them, come in here, like I eat it up and I love it, I'm oh, so good, and I just leave and that's it. <laughs> that's not the church. This is not the church. Acts chapter 2, the church starts. It starts with 3,000 people. Some translations say 3,000 men were saved. So let's double that number to 6,000. Let's, let's just say it was just men, they counted. Well, I don't really think so, but let's say 6,000. 6,000 people get saved. Acts chapter 2. Historians believe by 100 A.D. there were 25,000 Christians. And then by 300 A.D., 200 years later, there were 20 million Christians. In 200 years. This is when the church was persecuted. It was not the state religion. The church was persecuted. It was underground. It was pushed underground. Historians ever since this Time have been wondering how did this happen? We're actually seeing these same sort of numbers in China today. This has fascinated historians for a long time. How did they do it? How did this tiny messianic sect from the far eastern edge of the Roman Empire overwhelm classic paganism and grow triumphantly? How did it happen? Here's how. Every aspect of the early Christian church was shaped by this obligation. Individual Obligation imposed on every follower of Jesus by Jesus himself. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know how Christianity exploded in the Roman Empire? Every Christian felt this as a personal mandate, because it was. It wasn't like, go make disciples of all nations. Yeah, the pastors do that. The staff does that. The leaders do that. No, every single Christian does that. So let me make it as simple as I can. I don't want to get too. Can I just? I'm going to ask you to do this. I want followers of Jesus in here to start with one. Pray for one person that you know. They might be a young Christian, they might not be a Christian. They might have curiosity towards Christ. Like, pray for one person that you can serve and love. One. And pray for an opportunity to share. I, started this, I remember when I first got saved, I just started taking, like, one person and, like, reading some book that I didn't know about. And I was like, let's read it together because I don't know about it. And so we'd read it together. And then someone would know, who hey, you're meeting with so-and-so? I want to go. And so two. And then three. And then some of them now are pastors and church planners. And, like, that's what just that's how God works. Like, just one. That's what someone did to me. One person said, "Hey, you want to meet together and talk about God and pray and look read the Bible? It's an important book. Maybe you should maybe read it." I'm like, "Oh, okay." One person did that. If if everyone in here just like, I'm going to pray for one person. Now you're in here. You might thinking, "I don't. What do I take them through? I don't know what to take them through." Um, our community groups recently have gone through uh, uh, a curriculum called Multiply. It was written by our friend Francis Chan, and and he. Basically, we're making it available to, the, to our church for, ab, for absolutely free. hasn't come out to the public yet, completely free. You can take it and go, I'm going to take one person through this. It's got a really good biblical theology from Genesis to Revelation, the story of God. Grab If you don't know where to take them in Scripture, just take them through this stuff. It's great material written around Scripture, in Scripture. It'll be on our website tomorrow. Start with one person. Everyone in the church is given this commission. And number three, lastly, and this is I'll close. Care about what God cares about. How do we be missional? Let's, let's start, start by these things, but here, here's another one. Just, just care about what God cares about. The mission of God should change everything. The mission of God should ruin you in the best way possible. I love... I love interior design. It's kind of weird. I, lo- I, I like I live by the design district and I walk into stores and I was like, "Oh, heaven heaven's going to be designed so perfectly and like I just love space. I love in- and what it's done though, it's ruined me though. It's I'll go into any any space and immediately I walk into the space, I'm rearranging furniture, I'm changing walls. I'm like, "You should have this here. That 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 needs to move here." This. It, it it just consumes me. If someone gives me a project, if I have a project where I have to design something and t- like I, I I go to read and I'm like, okay, but what oh yeah, I did check online that thing and I draw it out, I grab my little my little notebook and I'm I just consumes me. This morning I was reading over my notes and I had this inspiration of what I want to do to my kitchen if I ever own my house, which I probably would never own my house, but if I did, I'd tear a wall, and I, and I had to get up and go look at my kitchen, go, okay, move that wall, I move the fridge there, oh, I got it, I got it, like, why, why do you have it? I don't know, it just, I'm weird, that's just, I'm always thinking that way, and I'm ruined, but some of you guys are weird, too. (laughs) Some of you guys are weird with graphic design, like, you're, you, you love graphic design so much that it ruins you, like, you see things, like, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to that event, that flyer's horrible, or web design, now UX or whatever. You look at websites. You're like, I can't believe this website. And you're ruined. You can't look at certain things. Some of it with finances, like someone's financially that like, can't think straight. You're like, what? wait, what? You don't get like, no, just pay your bills. It's not hard. Like you're, you look at and whatever you do, whatever's kind of got your heart, it's, it ruins you. Sometimes in the best way possible. Because you want to go and make it better. The mission of God will ruin you. In the best way possible. You will not be able to see I know one of my friends, he's like, Mishnah God has ruined me for the way I see documentaries. If I watch a documentary on a country or a, a city, it ruins me. Like I watch it and I weep. I'm like, those people need to know God. For me, I, I can't, I, 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 it just drives me, it ruins me because I, I want to see people understand the greatness of Jesus. And it bugs me when people don't get it. And that's the point where I'm angry. It's the point where I'm like, I'm going to stay with you. And I want you to get the greatness of Jesus. As a pastor and leader, I'm ruined because I can't stand when Christians don't live into their godly potential. I'm ruined that way. And so I counsel and I meet and I'm like, no, you're not living into the potential that God, how God's remade you. You're not seeing things rightly. I'm ruined. The mission of God will ruin you. How do, you, how do you get that? How do you, last week, I, I, we, we talked about being a theological community, and I just said, guys, let me get youth pastor real quick, youth pastor hat. How is your time with Jesus going? And it was like the most revolutionary thing I've said this church so far. It's like so simple. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, that was it. I haven't like spent time with Jesus for like five years. I forgot about it. Like, are you waking up in the morning and like, God, shape my heart. Give me your heart for my job and give me your heart for the people I'm with and give me your heart for the church and give me your heart. For... Don't, you, don't, you don't like show up in the morning to read and go, God, I have all these things today. I need you to do A, B, C, and D or else I'm out. You spend time with God to get to know God's heart. God, what's your heart? And once that happens, you're gonna start to care about what God cares about. That's missional living because God's doing something in this city and among us. And it's our task to find what that is and then join it with humility and gentleness. With humility and gentleness. This is how we're to live. See, typically, our mission is to try to get from this little life as much meaning as we can, as much purpose, as much love. And this is why we're anxious all the time. This is why we're anxious about meeting that someone or if the someone that we met is actually the someone we're anxious about money and time like we're our meaning our love our purpose but as a church on mission with the reason why we can be on god's mission and on mission with god is because we have meaning we have a new identity that's given to us by christ and we are loved christ demonstrated his love toward us he's given everything in the mission to redeem us his whole life his entire life to redeem us, to set us right, to reconcile us. And the most amazing thing is that Christ has entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. That's heavy. And so what I want to do as we close in prayer, I want us to ask that God would, because this is it, this is... You can't shake it. Like if you're a a follower of Jesus in here and you're like, no, I don't want the ministry. That's it, you have it. It's your ministry. What I want to do is I want to ask God, God, make us able ministers. Reshape us, reorient us, give us your heart. Show us how we could be faithful where we're at. So in doing that, what I want to do is, I want us, I've not done this before, I want us to stand and in a posture of like, receiving I just want to just if you if you're down, just like get a little bit of charismatic. I don't know if some of you guys are like, well I don't know. I don't do that. Just op- just turn your hands this way and go, God, I, I need your power. So would you stand with me as we close in prayer? If that's you, let's bow our heads, let's pray. And if you want to receive and you just say in faith, I, God, I, I understand my mandate as being sent by you, and I need your power. Would you just open your hands? God, I pray for this church right now. God, you're doing something in our, in our midst, and I really believe it, it, it might even be historic. It can't be accomplished by one, one person. It can't be accomplished by a staff. It can't be accomplished by one church. It has to be the church, God your church that you sent in mission in the city. And so so for some, I know that you're going to give them vision for exciting ministry ahead, innovative stuff. For others, it's a faithful witness in their job, if they're in tech, if they're in finance, if they're in the service industry, or they're around people that, that I can never be around. God, you sent them in there. With the ministry of reconciliation. And so we're asking for your power right now. We ask that you would help us to pray for maybe that one person, pray for those people that we need to pray for, give us wisdom, give us boldness, make us faithful witnesses of Jesus, ministers of reconciliation. Your word says in 2 Corinthians, God, that you made us able ministers of the new covenant. Able. We're able to do it not our own strength and your strength, God. So we ask that you would that you would impart to us faith, that you would impart to us holiness, that you would impart to us boldness. Thank you that your word says that you give us not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, that you would release that power in our, in our midst, in this church. In Jesus' name, amen.